0: back to the book podcast and our journey with Proust and uh, we're already starting up again we're still finishing our other main project with Dante's Divine Comedy in the Paradiso but we're going to start already now warming up a little bit and reading on in Swan's Way and getting into the world of Proust and uh, it was such a nice thing we opened up (laughs) the book here and then uh, a part of what we're going to read today was just one sentence that kind of caught the eye which was that uh He's talking about German journal- journalism, and then this Mister Swan, who is the one of the main main characters in the whole book, that he talks about journalism. It forces us to take an interest in some fresh triviality or other every day, whereas only three or four books in a lifetime gives us anything that is of real importance. It just struck me even before I began there because for me it is writers like Proust and and Dante have been two major authors which has like just a wealth of uh, of knowledge experience uh, beautiful emotion and and just descriptions of life that has been kind of with me for 15 20 years almost and it's still you know they stand out uh, compared to so much of the other things that are um, coming towards us in the, in the normal life so um we're going to start reading now and um we're going to continue. So, this is uh, when we have the introduction of Swan. So, it starts with We were all in the garden when the double peal of the gate bell sounded shyly. Everyone knew that it must be Swan. And yet, they looked at one another inquiringly and sent my grandmother scouting. See that you thank him intelligibly for the wine. My grandfather warned his two sister-in-law. You know how good it is, and it's a huge case. Now, don't start whispering, said my great-aunt. How would you like to come into a house and find everyone muttering to themselves? Ah, there's Mr. Swan, cried my father. Let's ask him if he thinks it will be fine tomorrow. My mother fancied that a word from her would wipe out all the unpleasantness which my family had contrived to make Swan feel since his marriage. She found an opportunity to draw him aside for a moment. But I followed her. I could not bring myself to let her go out of reach of me, while I felt that in a few minutes I should have to leave her in the dining room and go up to my bed without a consoling thought as on ordinary evenings, that she would come up later to kiss me. Now, Monsieur Swan, she said, do tell me about your daughter. I am sure she shows a taste already for nice things like her papa. Come along and sit down here with us, all on the veranda, said my grandfather, coming up to him. My mother had to abandon the quest, managed to extract from the restriction itself a further refinement of thought, as great poets do when the tyranny of rhyme forces them into the discovery of their finest lines. We can talk about her again when we are by ourselves, she said, or rather whispered to Swan. It is only a mother who can understand. I am sure that hers would agree with me. And so we all sat down round the iron table. I should have liked not to think of the hours of anguish which I should have to spend that evening alone in my room without the possibility of going to sleep. I tried to convince myself that they were of no importance really since I should have forgotten them next morning and to fix my mind of thoughts Of the future which would carry me as on a bridge across the terrifying abyss that yawned at my feet. But my mind, strained by this foreboding, distant like the look which I shot at my mother, would not allow any other impression to enter. Thoughts did indeed enter it, but only on the condition that they left behind them every element of beauty or even of quaintness by which I might have been distracted or beguiled. As a surgical patient, by means of a local anesthetic, can look on with a clear consciousness while an operation is being performed upon him and yet feel nothing, I could repeat to myself some favorite lines or watch my grandfather attempting to talk to Swan about the Duc Dorifé pasquier without being able to kindle any emotion from one or amusement from the other. Hardly had my grandfather begun to question Swan about that orator when one of my grandmother's sisters, in whose ears the question echoed like a solemn but intimately silence, which her natural politeness bade her interrupt, addressed the other with, Just fancy, Flora. I met a young Swedish governess today, who told me some most interesting things about the cooperative movement in Scandinavia. We really must have her to dine here one evening. To be sure, said her sister Flora. But I haven't wasted my time either. I met such a clever old gentleman at Monsieur Winterl's, who knows Moba quite well. And Moba has told him every little thing about how he gets his parts. It is the most interesting thing I have ever heard. He is a neighbor of Monsieur Vintuil and I never knew and he is so nice besides. Monsieur Vintuil is not the only one who has nice neighbors, cried my aunt Céline in a voice which seemed loud because she was so timid and seemed forced because she had been planning the little speech for so long. Darting as she spoke, what she called a significant glance at Swan. And my aunt Flora, who realized that this veiled utterance was Céline's way of thanking Swan intelligibly for the Asti, looked at him with a blend of congratulation and irony either just because she wished to underline her sister's little epigram or because she envied Swan his having inspired it, or merely because she imagined that he was embarrassed and could not help having a little fun at his expense. I think it would be worthwhile, Flora went on, to have this old gentleman to dinner. When you get him upon Maboa or Madame Materna, he will talk for hours on end. That must be delightful, sighed my grandfather, in whose mind nature had unfortunately forgotten to include any capacity whatsoever. For becoming passionately interested in the cooperative movement among the ladies of Sweden, or in the methods employed by Moba to get up his parts, just as it had forgotten to endow my grandmother's two sisters with a grain of that precious salt which one has oneself to add to taste, in order to extract any savior from a narrative of the private life of Mole, or of the Comte de Paris. I say, exclaimed Swan to my grandfather. What I was going to tell you has more to do than you might think with what you were asking me just now, for in some respects there has been very little change. I came across a passage in saint simon this morning which would have amused you. It is in the volume which covers his mission to Spain. Not one of the best, little more in fact than a journal, but at least It is a journal wonderfully well written, which fairly distinguishes it from the devastating journalism that we feel bound to read in these days, morning, noon, and night. I do not agree with you. There are some days when I find reading the papers very pleasant indeed. My aunt Flora broke in to show Swan that she had read the note about his corot in the Figaro. Yes, Aunt Celine went on, one better. When they write about things or people in whom we are interested. I don't deny it, answered Swan in some bewilderment. And now comes the quote we started with The fault I found with our journalism is that it forces us to take an interest in some fresh triviality or other every day, whereas only three or four books in a lifetime give us anything that is of real importance. Suppose that every morning, when we tore the wrapper of our paper with fevered hands, a transmutation were to take place, and we were to find inside it, oh, I don't know, shall we say Pascal's pensées? Like the thoughts, the book, philosophical book Pensées, the thoughts by Pascal. He artic- articulated the title with an ironic emphasis, so as not to appear pedantic. And then... In the jilt and tooled volumes which we open once in ten years, he went on, showing that contempt for the things of this world, which some men of the world like to affect, we should read that the queen of the Hellenes had arrived at Cannes, or that the princess de Léo had given a fancy dress ball. In that way, we should arrive at the right proportion between information and publicity. But at once regretting, That he had allowed himself to speak even in jest of serious matters. He added ironically, We are having a most entertaining conversation. I cannot think why we climbed to these lofty summits. And then, turning to my grandfather, well, Saint-Simon tells how Maulevrier had had the audacity to offer his hand to his sons. You remember how he says of Molleuvrier, Never did I find in that coarse bottle anything but ill humor, boorishness and folly. Coarse or not, I know bottles in which there is something very different, said Flora briskly, feeling bound to thank Swan as well as her sister since the present of Asti had been addressed to them both. Céline began to laugh. Swan was puzzled, but went on. I cannot say whether it was his ignorance or a trap, writes saint simon He wished to give his hand to my children. I noticed it in time to prevent him. My grandfather was already in ecstasies over ignorance or a trap, but Miss Céline, the name of saint simon a man of letters, having arrested the complete paralysis of her sense of hearing, had grown angry. What? You admire that, do you? Well, it is clever enough. But what is the point of it? Does he mean that one man isn't as good as another? What difference can it make, whether he is a duke or a groom, so long as he is intelligent and good? He had a fine way of bringing up his children, your Saint simon if he didn't teach them to shake hands with all honest men really and truly, it's abominable, and you dare to quote it." And my grandfather, utterly depressed, realizing how futile it would be for him, against this opposition, to attempt to get Swan to tell him the stories which would have amused him, murmured to my mother. Just tell me again that line of yours, which always comforts me so much on these occasions. Oh yes, what virtues, Lord, thou makest us abhor? Good. That is very good. I never took my eyes off my mother. So now we're going a little bit back to, to Proust as a little boy. and just wanted to notice a couple of things so far, which is, there are two Points here where you see Proust as a writer standing more out. There is uh, again and again you have part of the technique he's using is that he's he's drawing out these social scenes over pages and pages, but then suddenly you get these little little flashes of something really deep and interesting and beautiful. Uh, in in this case so far it's been when he he makes this kind of a meta comment on how. Um, he like an artist is searching for the right words when he's writing and then the other one when when swan is commenting on like the values of of really deep books that can can be of importance for you like for your whole lifetime and now he gets back to kind of his fear of not getting the goodnight kiss from his mother so he said then i never took my eyes off my mother I knew that when they were at the table, I should not be permitted to stay there for the whole of dinner time, and that Mama, for fear of annoying my father, would not allow me to give her in public the series of kisses that she would have had in my room. And so I promised myself that in the dining room, as I began to eat and drink, and as I felt the hour approach, I would put beforehand into this kiss which was bound to be so brief and stealthy in execution, everything that my own efforts could put into it, would look out very carefully for the exact spot on her cheek where I would imprint it, and would so prepare my thoughts that I would be able, thanks to these mental preliminaries, to consecrate the whole of the minute Mama would allow me to the sensation of her cheek against my lips as a painter who can have his subject for short sittings only, prepares his palette, and from what he remembers and from rough notes, does in advance everything which he possibly can do in the sitter's absence. But tonight, before the dinner bell had sounded, my grandfather said with unconscious cruelty, If the little man looks tired, he'd better go up to bed. Besides, we are din- dining late tonight. And my father, who was less scrupulous than my grandmother or mother in observing the letter of a treaty, went on. Yes, run along, to bed with you. I would have kissed Mama then and there, but at that moment the dinner bell rang. No, no, leave your mother alone. You said goodnight quite enough. These exhibitions are absurd. Go on upstairs. And so I must set forth without viaticum, must climb each step of the staircase against my heart, as the saying is, climbing in opposition to my heart's desire, which was to return to my mother, since she had not by her kiss given my heart leave to accompany me forth. That hateful staircase, up which I always passed with such dismay gave out a smell of varnish which had to some extent absorbed, made definite and fixed the special quality of sorrow that I felt each evening and made it perhaps even more cruel to my sensibility because when it assumed this olfactory guise, my intellect was powerless to resist it. When we have gone to sleep with a maddening toothache and are conscious of it only as a little girl, whom we attempt, time after time, to pull out of the water, or as a line of Moliere, which we repeat incessantly to ourselves, it is a great relief to wake up, so that our intelligence can disentangle the idea of toothache from any artificial semblance of heroism or rhythmic cadence. It was the precise converse of this relief which I felt when my anguish at having to go up to my room invaded my consciousness in a manner infinitely more rapid, instantaneous almost, a manner at once insidious and brutal as I breathed in, a far more poisonous thing than any moral penetration, the peculiar smell of the varnish upon that staircase. Okay, so we're going to stop it here. It's about 20 minutes. And uh, it's very... We get the Proust feeling immediately with all the details and how he's stretching out the sentences, but also then our thoughts and kind of almost like a concentration kind of how, like the the amount of things you can detail and ornament and get into with a longer sentence is becoming more clear as we keep on reading in the whole work. And he will also come back to this because he has a favorite writer at a later point who is writing very long sentences, sometimes a full page or two pages. And then he's explaining and describing how he's learning himself as Marcel in the book to read this type of literature and what it opens up for him eventually. So when we get to that point, we get kind of a a little help and a support and a, and a, and a way of showing us one way of... Experiencing this type of literature that was somewhat new, the way in his form in the late 1800s or the early 1900s in uh, in France. So, uh, but we, the last part is more like into into the psyche of the little boy and how he is seeing it, and um, and also kind of the the sensitivity of his both emotion and thought, which is a of an ongoing process through all of the the seven books or the 12 books, depending on the version, that an overall theme is the, the development and the growth of his intellectual, aesthetic, and artistic life and talents, and in the end also <laughs> how that shapes him and his whole life and his life work. So we're going to stop it there and... Uh, It was really nice to start to get into this again. So hope if you made it so far, thank you so much for listening. Hope some of this is interesting and uh, some food for thought. And just want to say thank you so much for listening and see you again next time.